Aguilar, Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Mallcast. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, we didn't get to talk about them last week, but it's time to give them their dues after their big mid-season stumble. Uh, the Ulster Ravers have finished second in the regular season again, just like they did last year. And yet no one's really talking about them because uh, people like us keep on talking about Leinster and Munster. <laughs> Nobody loves Ulster High. Uh, apart from the Ulster fans who <laughs> brought a load of noise yeah. to uh, the Aviva and have made Ravenhill, I would the best ground in the league outside of South Africa. So South Africa has some absolutely crazy grounds, particularly Kings Park. Now, the thing is that Kings Park is never full, but like it has a swimming pool. <laughs> it has a water slide. Those stadiums are brilliant, but the atmosphere in Ravenhill is better. Yeah. And so, the weather is better. So, so my... Um, I, it's, it's the Dan McFarland issue is... I just think he's knackered. That, that's really what strikes me, is that... Um, it's kind of tough to see where the narrative goes from here. But when he went in, Ulster were being described as a basket case and Joey Carberry didn't want to go there. And now with the hand ringing about Healy, people are going, oh, well, you know, maybe should, we should have sent Healy to Ulster. And you're going, that wasn't really a point. And we can get to that later. Or maybe Carberry needs to go there to kickstart his career. And you go, oh, Carberry turned that one down four years ago because he didn't have a head coach. So now... Here we are, as you said, Ulster are second in the log for the second year running, and they have come on on their sort of their long range graph. They've come a long way, and you talked about that recency bias that everybody has. And apart it's, from us, it's apart well, <laughs> ours is a conviction. Um, that a recency conviction. <laughs> <laughs> a recency conviction. Sorry, that was the point I was making. Anyway. The joke. <laughs> Let me explain my... Um, that he, he should be lauded for the, for the consistency, for the turnaround in fortunes, um, but he's not. And Ulster aren't really that well regarded by everybody. Everybody's like, mm, you know, they had an easy enough fixture list. The fixtures fell well for them. Um, they got a good run. They have momentum. Um, they're at home, but they're not going to win it. And... I don't know how that stacks up. I mean, like it, it's probably going to pass that they're not going to win it because the South African teams have shown that they're really good at the business end of the season. Leinster have a home run all the way to the final, uh, presuming that they win each match. Um, and that enough, that alone is should be enough to, to make Ulster worthy outsiders, those just, two factors. They won both their games in South Africa this season. Now, they couldn't have finished second last year because they had to play their semi-final in Stormers. Mm-hmm. So they must have finished third last season. Um, apologies. So they've got even better yeah. this season. And I, I think what strikes me is that McFarlane needs a senior coach in beside him to give him somebody to talk to, if nothing else. Like, they had Dwayne Peel, they had 
Jared Payne, both those guys left. Um, and like they're both like internationals. Uh, Peel was a line, Jared Payne was a line. Um, and uh, you know, they they weren't very experienced coaches at the time, but they had a certain sort of ballast and kudos about it. And, and I think it's something that's overlooked when you look, uh, sorry, when. Uh, discussing near neighbors appointment by by a lot of people like I hear him sort of ah oh, near neighbors the defense coach and you're there going yeah but like near neighbors the coach of the South African national team like the world champions uh, he coached them when they were the world champions he wasn't he wasn't the head because that was Razi Erasmus but like uh, aside from the titles changing you're sort of going like is is it still not a very similar background but he's going to come with an incredible amount of intellectual property that is just a great resource for Leo Cullen to have, to be able to bounce things off, to be able to get a second opinion, to be able to get a real insight. And again, you, you see this press coverage of Sean O'Brien and Sean O'Brien talking about his coaching journey and like, you know, sort of comparing himself to Stuart Lancaster. And you go, Sean, you're the only one making that comparison. I like being down the farm as well. You're going, Sean, I, I want to see as far as I can go as a coach. And you're there thinking, are you dreaming, mate? Like, you're not going to be able to be down the farm and see how far as you can go as a coach. Like, it's a hobby at the moment, to be quite honest. Like, if if you want to make it a profession as a coach, you've got to move. You've got to move every three years. You've got to be prepared to go a long way away. You look at, like, Mark McCall has been gone for Ireland for the guts of 15, 20 years. Okay, he, he hasn't moved around an awful lot, but that's because he's, he's been really successful. Conor O'Shea's moved all, all over the place. Ronan O'Gara has moved further than much, most, and, and he was prepared to move um, at really well-chosen opportunities. And, like, he wasn't sticking around in Cork. He wasn't looking to be, like, putting out the cones at Munster. He was there going, I'm going to Racing. I'm going to where there's a load of money. I'm going to where there's Dan Carter. I'm going to go to, go to learn coaches and make a load of connections that'll bring me to X, Y, and Z and bring me back to France where there's loads of really good, well-paid coaching jobs in the top league and you got to be that ruthless and that strategic about it so like to be doing defense for your home province and to be preparing yourself to Stuart Lancaster is like delusional so with that I I think like who, who else are going to get in are they going to get anybody else in because I, I I just think that would reinvigorate McFarland who to all intents and purposes has done a really good job He's done a better job at the moment than uh, Graham Rowntree and Mike Prendergast have done in, albeit, different time periods. But nonetheless, he has done a good job. But there's not really that many gardens for him. There's more kind of, uh, how come Ian Henderson hasn't uh, hasn't signed up? Ah, Ulster aren't going to win anything. And, and you're kind of thinking, I, I see the narrative, like I, I understand it, but the sort of the story and the numbers don't really stack up for me. Yeah, the I would I think that Rowntree or not Rowntree, uh, my Farland and Petrie, the CEO, will have a good working relationship, uh, and would be able to bounce things off each other in some regards. Like I don't think he's entirely like isolated up there, um, but I think um, I think you make a good point. He does to me. Like his his speech about Lentner having all the demographics seemed like a bit too defeatist. Like, whoa, what can we do? We're always going to lose these games. Um, but he 
He has done a good. Now, I, I would have a slightly different opinion than you. I think that he has, like I was looking at, at Ulster's squad at the end of the regular season, just to sort of take stock on, you know, as I do at the end of every regular season, I, I take stock on like who's been playing a lot and who hasn't been playing a lot. And Ulster have like 49 senior players listed on their website, which is fucking an enormous squad. You know, they're not a team who has a lot of players going to Ireland. Like, it's the biggest squad of any of the provinces, first of all. They're not a team who have a lot of players going to Ireland. They have a lot of, before, like, they have, you know, at the end of the regular season, they've had 15 players who've played under 200 minutes. Um, they've had a lot of out-halves combined for very few minutes. They've had a number of scrum-halves combined for very few minutes after the two. Uh, now, they're beginning to they're beginning to set loose players Players are beginning to attract Craig Gilroy and and uh, Rob Little have, have both announced that they're departing. But that squad, that's on in contrast to Roundtree and Prendergast, who inherited the squad. Like Petrie and uh, McFarland have been there together for five years, and they've allowed this squad to bloat on their on their watch. And it's it's a hobby horse of mine, which is, and it's not something which I, I sort of I've any. Like stake in, but I certainly do have an interest in seeing how coaches manage their squads, seeing that they have a plan, like sort of uh, housekeeping for the squad, seeing that they have a plan for players, seeing that they can get players. Like if you have a fringe player, why is he, why is he in your squad? You know, is he? Because <clears throat> I have to have four tight heads, I have to have four loose heads in the squad. You're going, yeah, some of these guys are going to be low on minutes. That's that's reasonable be- because once you lose one guy. Then all of a sudden you're in a position where like that guy becomes important, that fourth loose head or fourth tight head or fourth hooker. So you but there's other positions where you look and you're going, How many fucking back three players do do Ulster have on the books? You know, or guys who can play in the back three, if you include outside centres with that, and you're going, This enormous quotient of players um who Ulster have no problem in producing. But you have to make decisions. You have to be able to prioritize them so that guys get enough game time to improve. And and if you're not, if you're, God, you really hate at that point. <laughs> game time should be spread equally like communism. Um, if 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 guys aren't playing, like why are you paying them? You know, it's not, and it's not the players' problem. The players are offered contracts, and the, if they were selecting the team. They'd select themselves. So, again, it's uh, something of a, it's not maybe something that everyone cares about, but that money that goes to players who don't play, that can be used otherwhere in the organization more uh, effectively. You know, if you consider that a player on a sort of a senior salary, when I mean senior, I mean academy development, senior contract, central contract, and and that scale of things. Like that's one player equals a well-paid skills coach. You know, can you do with more skills coach? You know, two players equals a well-paid skills coach and a skills coach for the academy or a contact skills coach for the academy or something like that. There's no point in having this massive squad with players you never use. You can find, or it could be two development officers. Like that's the organization. It's not just about. It's not just about funneling a load of money upwards into the 
the senior squad you're going like this is the money that we have let's use it effectively or if it comes to the crunch and you're trying to re-sign a player you're going oh well we don't have that fucking say 90 grand anymore because we were paying somebody who ended up playing you know 116 minutes for us last season <clears throat> and do you think Ulster have found themselves in this situation because their goals have shifted and they've ended up with guys on contracts that they didn't expect to keep on contract? Or do you think they were just, you know, I don't know, they just, just signed the wrong players and ended up not using them? I think, yeah, like every player is a different case. I think some of the time they did sign the wrong players and ended up not using them. Other players, you know, have... Like there, there's like I can completely understand Ulster continuing to pay Will Addison while never playing, because his highs are so high. He's such a likable and admirable player, but it's like the the production is is like he just can't get on the pitch, you know. Um, but there's other players. I'm not gonna like fucking name and shame players. It's a dick thing to do. But there's other players that they signed and don't use. You know, they just signed them and then you're going like, why did you sign this guy? You know, so like you make the decisions on like, oh, should I have a closer look at him? Long before you start giving him money. So that to me, I I don't understand how that has happened for them. You know, with the with the key players being in the role for <clears throat> for five years. I understand how, for example, at Munster, Roundtree and and Prendergast and Leamy have players that they don't particularly want to use because they didn't fucking sign any of those players. Like Roundtree was in the building, but he's not making he's not making like final decisions on players. Um, like my 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 feeling about squads is like always like try and trim it. Like with with every squad, try and make it more effective in terms of like have that have that senior squad slightly smaller and provide more games to academy players. Provide more games to the players who are in it. Uh, if that means playing them out of position once in a while, let's say out of position, like, you know, play play a 13, play a 13 occasionally at 14 if that happens. Like, I, like one of the players I, I, I really always rated at, at Munster, for example, was uh, Darren Sweetenham, and who I couldn't understand why he was ever let go in the first place. But if you looked at his raw materials as a player, like, that was a guy who could have played 13 a lot, who was an it's like he was a good winger, would have been a really good number 23 and just wasn't going to get picked for Ireland. Had played for Ireland previously, but wasn't going to get picked for Ireland again. You're going, that's, that is one of the fucking, f- like one of the bottom 15 players in that squad I would have let go. You know, I would have had him like, I would have let basically 30 players go ahead of Sweetenham and I just would have used them all the time. I would say, yeah, Sweetenham, you're at 15 today or you're 11 today or you're at 13 or you're at 23. Like he would have been in so many squads because he had a lot of different skills that allowed him to play in the outside backs. And uh, like uh, this is a <laughs> this is sort of a penny pinching gene of mine, but I do have a lot of belief in that. I think you get more from players when they can play, especially in the outside backs when they can play more frequently. I, I think that's a big point that if you've got a squad of guys that are just collecting tracksuits, um it's it's not good for you. Like you, you need to have that competition. Uh guys thrive on playing. Um, it's it's very difficult then to reconcile that the the gap between your high and your low. If if you've got relatively speaking a small squad and you lose an important player, um, like the gap to the next guy might be really big. 
and like how do you balance off that risk and reward but it's 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 more so the the thought process of of how did it happen and the time scale that you have to think in that for most people in most jobs you eat what you kill like what's in front of you what's the most urgent who's ringing you on the phone you know, like what what email is on the top of your stack is what you have to do and it's very few people who have the the ability to prioritize and make themselves the time or just have the time full stop to be able to make strategic decisions and it's not that you know if you're not busy you you know you make good decisions although i'm, I'm maybe sort of painting it that way but you have to make yourself the time to make those strategic decisions or you just have to accept that those strategic decisions are going to be more important than making 10 smaller decisions and if you look at like Leo Cullen seems to do that really well that he seems to have he's cleared out a lot of his time and a lot of the detail and a lot of the the sort of the nitty-gritty day-to-day has gone to Lancaster who he completely trusts and who gets a load of praise and Leo's there going I can wear this because I've actually got the time to concentrate on the things that nobody else is talking about and I've got somebody to bounce it off who who appreciates where I'm coming from without having the pressure of it. And that's, going back to it, that's really what I think McFarlane needs mm. for, for for his own career development. Like, yeah. I, And just because he looks absolutely knackered. Um, like, he, he can't... Dan McFarlane's actually a very likable guy um, when you meet him in person. And I'd imagine that most head head coaches are because, uh, like, you have to have a certain charisma. There's a confidence that goes with it. You're used to addressing people. Um, like you, you don't tend to, like if you start coaching, you you have to become accustomed to addressing people. You have to become accustomed to man management. And at whatever level you're going to start at, you're not going to be given the keys to the Ulster head coaching job, like off the street. So he he has honed those, and as has everybody else, like as Andy Friend and all those sort of guys. Um. But you need somebody to to bounce the ideas off. You, like, I agree. And sorry, just to return to a point which I which I thought of before and forgot to say is like, if you then have a, a squad of players where there's a code of players who play a lot and there's a code of players who don't play a lot, you don't have a happy squad. Even if people are saying, "Oh, you know, I'm just like a, I'm looking for my opportunity in the next," like they're not happy. They're going home to their girlfriends or partners or wives or husbands or whatever and saying, listen, fuck that. Like, I'm just not even getting a shot. This coach is taken against me. And they're like, they might be able to be professional enough to hide their emotions if they're asked in a media. Like, oh, well, you know, I've had niggling injuries. I haven't really been at my best. And, you know, he's playing great for us. But, but they're not happy. Like, and in a squad, you know, you're never going to have everyone happy. But if you have too many people who aren't happy, your squad is going to be a difficult organization to run. Okay. The, my question is, so is, aren't these just the inefficiencies of a planned economy? Because essentially there's guys who are at Ulster and there's decisions being made at Munster about keeping Irish internationals or guys who, guys who would have moved around. I'll say the names, like Jordy Murphy, Ian Madigan, who are like excellent players, but past their best mm-hmm. and near the end of their careers at Ulster on their books who barely play for them at all yeah and Jordy's now you know announced he's, his retirement he's going to retire yeah. yeah but like <clears throat> is that not just the kind of downside of having to sign less of a market economy yeah that's a good point having to sign Irish qualified guys yeah 
rather like, than I mean, a player that you might say, well, we, we do need an open side. Is the reason that it's like the system is working better at Leinster is because they can afford to play much more of their, rotate much more of their squad in on off weeks when they're more internationals away because the team's gone so well and so well coached and, they're, and they're, I mean, their second string players can get results for them as well. Yeah. Well, Leinster have more better players than the other, yeah. uh, than the other provinces. Produce more better players as well. Yeah, and have more better coaches, I would say, to uh, not to a huge degree, not as much as the players, but I would say the coaches are probably better as well. Um, the command economy, what did you call it, directed? Planned economy. Planned economy versus markets. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, but I think once you start moving away from that, like as you say, that's a necessary downside. Once you start going, well... We actually, you know, we do need a, a number. We do need a, you know, another number ten. So let's just go to the market, and then, you know, the knock-on, the knock-on consequences of that. Um, there's no game time for Jack Crowley then, or there's no game time for. Yeah, there's no game time for yeah somebody who is Irish qualified. If you go and get Christian Lelafano again, you know, he can't fucking play for Ireland. And if he's playing well enough for Ulster and he's a really good pro as he was when he was with Ulster, they're going, nobody else gets a fucking look in. You know? Yeah. So there has to be a limit on the market. Like the market element in Ireland, like Birch is, Birch is really interesting on this because he's very uh, interested, having, having coached, especially in Grenoble, he's very interested in the market element of, of player, of uh, being a head coach. You know, player acquisition, scouting, and everything. And, and it sounds really interesting and exciting and like i i like when foreign players come to ireland because you can it's a new player um and it's, it's always interesting to see how they do um thanks uh so i <laughs> did a fucking real darcy unfinished sentence there. <laughs> well i know what you mean it's like it's like player might have existed but you haven't been watching them for five years and you, they're just essentially appearing out of the yeah so and you go like, and see a highlight reel and you go oh this, oh, geez, this you guy know, is like, really good oh you know, Lane Kirchner yeah I've seen him play for South Africa yeah. he's gonna play for us now yeah for ages as it yeah. turns out <laughs> or, or you know or you see somebody and you go oh we really like, I love us tonight like Zaren Sullivan you know yeah. and then you know you know two years in the line Zaren Sullivan oh fuck that's I always thought he'd be a great signing for uh, for Leinster or you know for wherever or, you know, Rory Sliman playing for, for Munster. But there is a... Like, that that can't... There has to be a captain. So whether it's, you know, like... It's funny, people still refer to Eddie Wigglesworth's, like, pronouncement in, like, 2012 about how how many players are going to be allowed to play for the provinces and how what their contracts will be allowed. As though that's fucking relevant now. Like, people still think that there's some sort of... You know, there's some sort of Eddie Wigglesworth thing said is true. And you know, it's fucking not true. About like, NIQs and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. You know, they can sign for one contract and then another year. And you can only have this many in this position. It's like, we've, we've you know, evolved into like classic Irish solution to an Irish problem. Uh, which is just like, mm, there's no real rules. You just make up like, use sort of, you know, reasonable. You use your reason to say... No, we, we can't have like fucking four Fahrenheit heads again. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not going to work. Um, but, but uh, so I think there has to be a limit. Is, is it is it three? Like I, I'd always said that ultimately this is going like, we, we started the blog years ago. 
And I'd always said that ultimately, like Ireland should be working down to. I didn't see the project player going away, so I thought like it would. Our ultimate goal would be three foreign foreign players plus one project player, and that's roughly where we all are. Like all the provinces are roughly at at three foreign players, and like when you look at all four provinces qualifying for the European or the URC knockouts, you're going, Jesus, like why why do you change it? And producing Ben Healy. I was just going to say, sorry. Yeah, well, you, you did. <laughs> my you. line was, and we've got a foreign player in our midst. As well. <laughs> the fifth colonist, Healy. Well, Ben Healy has uh, defected uh, from our planned economy to the, back to the West, yeah. except to the East. And he's gone to, he's going to play for Edinburgh next season. And he's the man uh, kicking the leather off the ball beautifully yeah. for Munster. He's, he, it's very interesting that he's gone like, to the most bourgeois city in the fucking league. The Edinburgh Free Marketeers, yeah. I believe they're renaming themselves. The Invisible Hands. Um, the thing with Healy moving is that it it's an Irish decision. Like, he's he's gone over to play international rugby. It isn't a case of, oh, he could have gone to Ulster and, and what, never, like, I never played for Ireland uh, up in Ulster. Um, he hasn't been guaranteed game time but the chances are he'll go to the world cup he's certainly he, he's already been capped uh he's played in the six nations he has the opportunity to go to the world cup and age profile wise like finn russell will retire sooner than ben healy will and he'll leave a void where with ireland like where's healy number number seven uh like it's it's johnny sexton in the seven wars with with the best reputation, or sorry, with the best will in the world to everybody else. Ross Byrne didn't go to New Zealand, as we know. Um, and, it, like, it could be any one of them. There, there's, like, no one has convincingly stuck up their hand to be, you know, a 50-cap Test Match 10 yet. Now, I think one of them will become a 50-match test, test Match 10 because, like, we're talking six or seven players. But you're talking guys, like... Jack Hardy went to the World Cup in 2019. Ian Madigan went to the World Cup in 2015. Billy Burns played and started in Six Nations matches. Joey Carberry has 30 caps for Ireland. Ross Burns started in the Six Nations this year. Played uh, in all the games in Six Nations. Um, mm. What? Not Adam. Uh, Harry, QB1, has started matches for Ireland. Um, no, Jack he started against Argentina. He did not start against Argentina. No, no. He did not. Sorry. So, so he's played internationals. So he selected a tour. He didn't tour. Um, so he's, he's, didn't he's the seventh. Uh, Crowley has started matches for Ireland. So Frawley started, has not capped for Ireland, but has started the, all the midweek games in New Zealand and against the uh, New Zealand A's. So, so every province has players that have started for Ireland, more that have played for Ireland. And like from them given that Johnny Sexton will be like 38 fairly soon, uh, one of them is going to get, you know, a certain number of caps. The most likely will be Crowley. But, you know, like, could be Sam Prendergast, you know? So... Uh, who, who's that? I haven't um, heard of him. So, so, like, so for Healy, it's just like the hand-wringing that goes on around Healy and... The ultimate, I don't know, it's not Schadenfreunde, but like the ultimate Alanis Morissette would be where Healy to kick a goal that beat Ireland in the World Cup match. And we'd be going, you, we shouldn't have let him go. Jesus, Teddy. Oh, Jesus. Could have been Pope. 
Um, <clears throat> but them's them's the breaks. He 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 wasn't he wasn't going to be vaulted ahead of those seven guys consistently enough to warrant him staying when he could have been capped by Scotland. Yeah, now he started Munster's first six games of the season, two friendlies and then the four, uh, the four, uh, run of the first four games in the URC. And Munster lost five of them, right? Um, so he got his shot at the start of the season and then it was like, mm, this isn't working now. I'm not saying that's his fault, but he was the man steering the, steering the boat into the rapids. And then they moved on to Carberry. Carberry wasn't doing great, if you recall, at the start of the season and didn't really... And he actually played well against the Bulls in a home match for them, but didn't really have any big games for Munster. And then he got, he got the chop. Sort of led by Farrell, followed by Prendergast. And now they moved on to uh, Crowley, led by Farrell again, followed by Prendergast. Like... Crowley, Crowley hasn't played well uh, in the last four games in a row for Munster. Um, <clears throat> and he played a 12 against Glasgow and we just didn't play well. And this fella is really talented. I think it's very obvious how talented he is. So uh, he didn't play well against the Sharks in that big loss where no one played well. Did okay against the Stormers. And then didn't play well in the last game against the Sharks. And they took him off you know, pretty early, 53 minutes or something like that, and brought on Healy, and it was a big improvement. So I was saying somewhere else that, like, <laughs> you know, you keep on fucking cycling through your halves, and you're back at the first one. And the first guy's showing a load of improvement. You're going, oh, well, well done, Ben. It's been a great help with Ben Healy. Ben Healy just spent the last two fucking months with a different coach, and he comes back a lot better. He spent two months, like, in Scotland squad playing with Gregor Townsend. Like, I don't know if anybody else has mentioned, if, if they mentioned that on the 42 podcast or something like that. But like, I think that's relevant. Yeah, he's, he's also come back full of confidence because he has been capped and he has, he has the certainty. And you're better off coming on for Munster as a sub because Munster are fit. Mm. Like it's, I watched... First half of the of the Sharks match, I, I wouldn't say that I thought Crowley played particularly poorly. I thought that playing against South Africa, a South African team, is brilliant for Irish players because you have to learn to deal with that physicality that like it wasn't there and the mm-hmm. competitiveness. Mm. They they are competitive and they really understand from it. from the minute off. Like they they can like their tackling is strong. They compete in the air well. They compete at the breakdown well. Like they carry the ball hard. I thought uh, Kendallin's tackling had got a lot better. I saw how low he was going in a lot of matches, like really low in some matches, like uh, below the knees. And I thought he's going to get penalised for that. And then it seemed that he'd, he'd picked it up. Boot lazy went through mm. for second second try. I thought, and I was like, "Ooh, that's a bad look." Mm. But like I was also going, the chief is uh, yeah, the <laughs> like the chief's a tough man to stop there. So it's. But uh, but but as a team, I thought, look, sure, Munster are fit like that. That that's the biggest difference between them this season and last season. And you're going to be better off playing in the last half an hour uh, for Munster against the Sharks than you are at any other time of the match. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly a very different first half and second half in that game uh, because the Sharks, you know, at one point they lead like twenty-two, three, and you go, mm, this game looks pretty much fucking done and dusted. 
And Munster came back very strong. And the Sharks really wilted. And we're clinging on at the end. Yeah, they do um, have a, a few notable uh, drop-offs. I mean, just thinking four games off the top of my head, they were very tight with Leinster until 60 minutes. They got hammered. They were in a very tight game with Toulouse until like 65 minutes and ended up losing by 30 points. Mm. Uh, they ran away with the, the start of the second half against Munster. Conceded three tries at the end. Yeah, but now, yeah. Taking, the, taking their no, it's true. And then again, I think they maybe we don't have the aerobic. Uh, they, don't have the, they don't have the capacity to go yeah. seem to go at that at the kind of crazy pace that they go at a lot of the time for a whole game. Yeah. They'll say we never talk about Leinster, so it's time to talk about Leinster. But not about them losing, because we're not interested in that. Um, Leinster versus Toulouse, rematch of the semi-final from last year. Stadium's not sold out because uh, EPRC can't organise a piss-up in Dublin on a sunny Saturday afternoon <laughs> with the two best teams in Europe, or two of the three best teams in Europe playing a rugby match. Um, I'm sure it'll get quite sold out by the time kickoff comes around, but... I'm thinking back to last year's game. Um, a lot has been made of how Toulouse had to play the week before and then that long, you know, extra time penalty shootout with Munster. But Leinster played brilliantly against them last year. I just, part of me has a weird suspicion that for the third time the final is going to be in Dublin. There's not going to be an Irish team in it. And it's going to be two French teams in it. Tell me I'm wrong. I but I don't know, you know. I I don't know. Like Toulouse are really good. They've got more players in form this season than they did last season. Like Ramos this season is playing the best rugby of his career. Entomac looks better. Uh, Entomac looks probably, in my opinion, better than better than he ever has. And then Dupont is fucking ridiculous. He's unbelievable. Best player in the world. Um, so it's. It's going to be a really tough game. Like, home advantage, no doubt about it, is is a big deal in semifinals. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big advantage to Leinster. But short of two really important players for them, Johnny Sexton and James Lowe, um, like those are variables which they haven't had Sexton for a lot of years, but we've tended to have them for, for semifinals. That's... They're the games he plays for Leinster. And um, so I just don't know. Like, I don't know what it's... You get into knockout rugby and it's cup rugby. It's it's about, like, there's a lot of variables, you know, in terms of what the weather conditions are like, whether you're home and away, what your injury list is like. But ultimately, it's a one-off game of rugby. So it's about things like whether you have successfully identified some sort of flaw in how the opposition take, or even just a good way of playing against them, whether you can implement that, whether you understand quickly how the referee is refereeing the game. So those those variables are unknowables until the match kicks off. And then you only have, you know, you only have 80 minutes to to make your case. So, like, certainly looking forward to the game, but... I'm like, um, bit of a pick em for me. Total, total pick em. Given how convincingly 
Leinster won last year, I, I still remember being very concerned that Leinster had to get a certain amount of scores ahead to put to put it out of play because if Toulouse are in a situation where they were even 21, well, maybe not 21 points down, maybe, maybe, tw- maybe 21 points down that certainly 17, if they scored and kicked to put them into 14 and they could they could score again at any time, as long as there was time for the restart, if Toulouse got penalties, they could kick themselves down into a situation where they had a territorial opportunity that it's really, really difficult to get the ball from them mm. and they had the capacity to score. Correct. And just that momentum goes with you. The referee won't penalise if you're going forward. You will get more penalties. You will be able to keep kicking it to the touchline. You'll be able to keep winning the ball. So even at 17 points, it's not safe. You have to be at 18 against a team like Toulouse, just given the firepower. And like it kind of boils down to Antoine Dupont because he is like at his best unplayable. Um, he's, he's and like, he was at his best against the Sharks. Yeah. So uh, he really was. I mean, when you when you watch replays of him, yeah, it's it's yeah, I'm trying to remember that off the top. It's like uh, talent hits a target that no one else can. Genius hits a target that no one else can see. Is that like you, you hear about Lancaster talk about scanning, and he gives the Frank Lampard example, and he says, "Oh, and Farrell scans a lot. George Ford scans a lot. Antoine Dupont for some of his assists didn't even look, and you're there going, but." How, how did he know he was there? He he hasn't even looked around and then given a no-look pass. He just hasn't looked at all. Like, is he looking at the big screen? Or does he, like, how, like I don't know. How does he know? But he's done it. Um, so he's not like other players. And and that alone is enough. Now, given the, the, the pedigree of Toulouse, given their experience of winning semifinals, it's, or winning all matches, uh, it's it's a huge challenge for Leinster. But that said, Leinster are at home, and Leinster have a shitload of experience of playing knockout matches. And they have a lot of players who are very confident, a lot of players who are very accustomed to winning, who who won't be cowed by Toulouse, who'll be really looking forward to this match. Um so it's like it's 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 the sort of the I'd say there were some warm-up obituaries written for the for the European competition in recent years with EPCR taking over and um again like they're they're even harder to love than poor old Dan McFarland. But yet again, like season after season that you produce really good denouement tournaments. Yeah. Like the, the the tournament still has a cachet you talk about and maybe it's the fact that Toulouse as a club or Madfresh and Ronan O'Gara as as a head coach is is massive for it because like it's not all the French teams approach it like Toulouse and La Rochelle do, but Toulouse and La Rochelle are the two best French teams. And well, yeah, I like, would argue that there is still a problem with the tournament in that none of the quarterfinals were remotely competitive. No one thinks one of the semifinals is going to be competitive, and basically there's three teams who look like they're they're a distance away from everyone else, and they're the two top teams in. France and Leinster. Now, that could be me. It could be a one-off year. Because, I mean, the, the same thing could be said about the, the Champions League this year is that none of the quarterfinals were close. They were all pretty tedious and one-sided. None of the last 16 games were close. They were all done after the first leg. Everyone kind of knew who was going to win them. And 
for years, the quarters and the semis have been the most entertaining football on earth. And this year, everyone's gone. There's a there's the booby prize, Milan's Arby semi, and then there's the real final in one other semi. But everyone, that could still be like a, a city walkover at this stage. No one, no one really knows. So, like, I think there is a big problem with the tournament in that, like, there's not, there's not enough teams at the same level at the top. And I guess the teams who are going to step in to the breach are the South African teams. Are you talking then? Yeah. They're all fair points, but I, w- I wouldn't have said that was the responsibility of the EPC or I would have said structurally that's what European club rugby is this season or European club rugby strokes South African uh, club mm-hmm. rugby. Like, I, I, no, I yeah. don't, I don't, like, I think the fact that the tournament has delivered the three best teams into the semi final, I would be more of the mind that it's a poor tournament if. If they just didn't bother, if you if you had two mediocre teams and maybe one of them, it doesn't really matter. Like maybe if you had one of them in in one semi final where you sort of go, look, it's obvious that the winner of this match is going to go on and win the final. That that would be a letdown, or that that just wasn't sufficient interest. But I I think there I think there has been like even even Gloucester who, and this is kind of if 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 maybe's and woodhaves and all that sort of stuff, even Gloucester who sent over a second team who Leinster hammered. They were close to beating La Rochelle in a knockout match. Now the fact is they didn't. Um, but had they had they beaten La Rochelle in a knockout match, and the semi final was Gloucester and Exeter, would have gone? Well, the tournament is worse. No, that's fair. I think I think that's maybe yeah. It's I think the tournament is bad. I think the group stage is shit and like. I don't think the last 16 followed by quarterfinals a week later works. Um, but I, I mean, I am really looking forward to both these semifinals and whatever the final is, even if the final is Toulouse versus Exeter, I'll still be very excited by it. I, I think the ticketing is, is poor. Um, yeah. I mean, the fact, the fact that they can't sell out the ground, the, I think the way that they, they schedule the matches too, you know, too close together. I think the way that they, like one of them is on an Easter weekend, but it's on an Easter weekend six days after the, the previous round. And you're there going, well, whatever. Like if you had three or four weeks to get your ducks in a row yeah. as a spectator, that, you know, you you could you could manage things. Yeah, the quarterfinal is a smaller game than the second round match. Yeah, but like <laughs> they just... So those elements of it, I, I think they make a pig's ear of. But the rugby side of it, Invariably, like the best team in Europe has won it, and and the finals have been really good matches, and the semi-finals have been good matches. Yeah, that's something when that's sort of hard to fuck up. Like I would be in, I'd be more on your side of things of like not giving them unearned credit. Like EPCR have nothing to do with how good La Rochelle or Toulouse or Leinster are. Yeah, that's true. So, so then say like it's it's down to ticketing and ticketing and and, and scheduling. So from from that point of view, they've been poor. ticketing, scheduling, sponsorship. Yeah, you know, like a, I'm not one to let uh, old slights, you know, fucking fade away. Like sponsorship, the prize money, like all of these things. You know, it's not easy for rugby rugby clubs, rugby players to. Uh, 
to like make a lot of money. Now in 2016, you know, we were told that there's going to be, you know, fucking five sponsors. This was going to be a huge thing. They went back with their tail between. I'm, I'm, I am certainly relitigating an old case there, but you know, like none of those improvements happened. The, the tournament is arguably, I wouldn't say arguably, the tournament is worse than it used to be. So, it's uh, the semi-final ticketing is you have they're they're played in two countries of the same sort of <clears throat> two countries with similar you know similar standards of living costs of living etc one set of tickets is known to be cheaper than another like that's very fucking irritating ticketmaster now i know ticketmaster are ticketmaster have like it was explained to me why there's a booking fee like the booking fee doesn't go all all go to ticketmaster the booking fee, a percentage of that goes back to the organizer or the promoter or whoever. Ticketmaster separate that out so that they can say, oh, this ticket is, you know, 70 quid rather than it's almost 80 quid. And Ticketmaster take a, a premium to be the punch bag. Um, so it's EPCR setting the ticket prices, not Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster going fuck everyone by saying, oh, we're going to release these tickets at 12 o'clock. And they release on the fucking upper tier corners and lower tier restricted seating and like charge an arm and a leg for them. It's very frustrating. There's capitalism, baby. There's no, there's no goodies in capitalism. But yeah, the whole, the whole process of it is like it, every stage of it has a flaw. From uh, from a fan's point of view, every stage of it, it's like and, and you know from people outside uh, outside Ireland, outside Leinster, they'll be going, well, yeah, one of the big flaws is fucking Leinster always get to play it in Dublin, and like to other people, like you know from where sitting here in Dublin, fucking, if I had a big arm, I could get it. It would be a stone's throw to Lansdowne Road. It's not that far away by foot, and like I think it's great, but like yeah, there's a lot of other people involved and invested in this competition. They don't think it's fucking great. So, no. where was the final last year? It was in Marseille. Where was the final last time Leinster were in the final? Yeah, it was in fucking Spain. Yeah, but no, fucking but I'm who? I'm saying though that a lot of people, not just me, are fucking have different complaints about EPCR. There's complaints there, and like I, I, I would, think I, I, I want to delegitimize. It. Cut, cut you off and just cut, 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 cut the mic. This thing of like. Oh, the final shouldn't be in Dublin. It's only been in Dublin twice before in the history of this entire tournament. And like Ireland has been one of the main contributors to this tournament. Like Ireland and France are the main contributors to this tournament. And like people complaining about it being in Dublin are fucking idiots. And yeah. the chief amongst them is a fucking prick. Let's a get fucking it. jab of the hood prick. Let's get after him. Fuck him. <laughs> I might cut I think, that bit out. You make very good points, though, about the the fan experience. They they haven't marketed the the tournament particularly well. They haven't made it as big as it could be. They haven't grown it. It's just it's hard for fans. They they've made it hard for fans. They go out of their way to gouge people. Um, and that's the most disappointing thing because when you go to the uh, the knockout matches, what I notice, I was going to say, what you is that. It is a different crowd than international matches, mm -hmm. and it's more egalitarian. It's like yeah. pe people want to go there for the match, um, rather than they go for the social occasion. Because, like, I am still clueless as to how international tickets get distributed, but there is a unique crowd that go to international rugby matches. Um, 
and 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 only international rugby matches. And like it would be impossible to bracket them otherwise. But you see them elsewhere, and you go, that person goes to international rugby. Yeah, and you and see I, them in Weirds at Christmas. I told you. Yes, <laughs> and like. I recognise you from the internationals. <laughs> yes, I've seen you in a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's that's not like the European Cup. But the thing is, in the European Cup, it's not full either. Yeah, and these are big, exciting games. So, um, so yeah, the EPCR. I wouldn't give them a pass mark to be honest. I would say three out of ten, which they would call. I don't know what they call that now. H7. And you definitely qualify from the group stage with that anyway. <laughs> fatted on for the injured Fitzgerald and he's become a forward now. The back bobbling off to Sexton. Referee playing advantage here. Oh, there's going to be an extra man. There doesn't need to be an extra man because as so often that's the only man that matters. Driscoll for Leinster. 